All right. This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. And this is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay. <laughs> we have a wonderful actress on here, Morgan Pavey. How are you, Morgan? I'm good, Reg. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Morgan is, uh, she joins me on the stage at Civil War Christmas mm-hmm. as Roz, as um, um, uh, Surratt. Mary uh, Surratt. Mary Surratt. Right. And Louis Payne. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I'm sure you play a couple of other characters as well. I think they're just chorus <laughs> parts, yeah. Just chorus parts, but... Um, oh, no, Charles Sumner for a brief second. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, um, but no, I, I mean, you know, watching you on stage and working with you, especially our little, you know, scene at the very end is just yeah. fantastic. Really, really nice moment. And... Um, yeah, I was dying to have you on, so I'm gl- thank you so much. Thanks right. for asking me. This is yeah. fun. I'm going to go see it this weekend. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yes, hey, this is, the, this is it, the only last weekend for Civil War Christmas. But, of course, we'll plug that at the very end. As always, I ask Norman, how was your week? Quiet. Yeah. I had the crazy, so almost all my obligations are done. Like, my calendar is just empty and more empty. Mm-hmm. And, uh... <laughs> But I had an, a commitment yesterday to do, uh, I do professional development for teachers. So I go into classrooms to show a teacher how they could use theater to teach their subject. Mm. And it was as if yesterday was my test. Mm. Um, they had been studying religions, world religions. So Buddhism, Hinduism, I forget what the other one was. One that has a universal spirit, one that talks about reincarnation. Yeah. There's Unitarianism. No, no, no. Nothing okay. nothing American. Got it. <laughs> I hear you. American okay. in this. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, what I do is I get the information. What is the subject that you're dealing with? What is the material? Because depending on the age and the class, the grade, mm-hmm. um, your, your vocabulary, your focus, everything is, and I want to make sure I stay appropriate to that. And then I say, well, here's how some theater tools or skills can help you play with this. So for the kids, it becomes a bit of a game, a day of games. Mm-hmm. But the games are, you know, to apply. And I keep stopping and asking them, how does this apply? And mm-hmm. what do you relate this to? I purposely set all that up. This teacher's young guy who hasn't really, he's, he's, he's green. Mm-hmm. So when we met, he said, yeah, I've got this stuff. I said, great. If you've got it, I'll come with you after the meeting and get it. And he says, why don't I email it to you? And I'm like, okay, 21st century. Sure, <laughs> why don't you email it to me? So I give him my email address. Mm-hmm. I hear nothing. Mm. So a week before, I'm starting to get a little nervous. And I'm like, hey. And even my supervisor sends an email out. It's like, hey, it's really important that you get him yeah. this information. I get an email back from him saying, yeah, I'm sorry. I've just been slammed. Uh, so I shared the information with mm-hmm. you. I'm like, oh, okay, I know that. I know that too. I go to Google. Mm-hmm. No Google Docs. I go through my email to see if I've been invited to share something. Nothing anywhere. Mm-hmm. Two days of me chasing around. Like, can I get a phone number for this guy, please? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Help. Yeah. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I get nothing. So I walk into the class, knowing the little bit that I know and the lesson that I kind of vaguely outlined as a possibility, depending on what you were studying. That I could do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And then the day before I get a, oh, yeah, and then go to the other sixth grade teacher's class after his class. And I'm like, I don't even know who this is. We've had no communication. I don't know what they're studying. But, yes, I'm going to walk into your class and <laughs> I'm going to teach a lesson. Uh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's been it. Um, 
Did the kids get it? I mean, did they have fun with it? Did they learn something? I think they had fun. I know that they got it only because, oh, so what I teach, <clears throat> one of the many things, this is like if I were going to write a theater book, I would write status. Um, because I learned about it in improv, mm-hmm. and status is an amazingly wonderful tool for an actor. High status character, low status right. character. Are you the boss? Are you the king? Are you mom or dad? You know, are you somebody who's the leader of the pack? Then you're high status. Mm-hmm. Are yeah, you? We, talk, we talked about that. Yeah. yeah. So I can do a, a quick lesson. I can do a one-day lesson where we play with some ideas about what high status might look like and what low status might look like mm-hmm. and then get them to interact. Mm-hmm. And that's squeezing a lot into one lesson. But, you know, that's what I ended up doing and applying that to reincarnation mm. and saying, so in this life, yeah, maybe, maybe one, they were re- <coughs> studying Egypt. So maybe once upon a time, you were, a, you know, a pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Mm. But not everybody's a pharaoh. So maybe you were just one of the guys building the pyramids, or somebody who washed clothes down at the riverbank. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you were a slave. Yeah. And you know, and then relating it all to the a card deck, a deck of cards, because mm-hmm. the game we right. ultimately end up playing is status poker. Mm-hmm. So we run around and move, trying to show people what. What our status is? Am I high? Am I low? Can you guess just by the way you talk to mm-hmm. me and interact? What I love about seeing it is some of the kids who are quieter and maybe a little more shy, if I can get them to pump a little bit of status, because we do, we just do a crossing exercise where they have to pass each other and say hello. When they get back into the circle, I say, okay, so point to somebody who was high status. Point to somebody else who was high status. Point to somebody who was low status. Now, with the first one, it's point to somebody who is high status. You people, if you're being pointed to, show your card so we can see. Mm. And they get that sort of reinforcement. Even if they don't, they see how the dynamic works. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a fun lesson. It's a lesson I've been mm-hmm. adapting and evolving for yeah. And, and I guess it helps a kid, now. let's say, who is, who is a lower... Let's say a kid who isn't necessarily popular or let's say someone who's shy. Mm-hmm. If they become a high status person then they can feel they sort can of empowered. feel it and and when they don't because that's the exercise of acting mm-hmm. is um you got the queen card mm-hmm. but nobody <coughs> noticed that you were trying to be all that and it's like well, i get it get now more. they don't know who ha- what card they have well no the, so the way that it is traditionally played <coughs> is you don't know they, yeah they used to call it indian poker yeah that's right they don't call it that anymore. Mm-hmm. You put the card up on your forehead so that everybody else can see it, but you cannot. Got it. And I should probably just go ahead and make a bunch of headbands mm-hmm. so I can make that part of the process <laughs> a lot simpler. Because <laughs> uh, and what's always funny is there's always some sweaty kid who figures <laughs> out I can make this just stick to my forehead. <laughs> uh, but yeah. um, the way I've started teaching it is <clears throat> you see it, you hide your card. So that one always worked with students. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have my little holiday bell. Hey, it's yeah. our holiday show. <laughs> um, only you see your card. Yeah. And then you have to decide, ooh, I'm a three. Hi, hi, hi. And I, you know, I demonstrate and I show them ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, I've got the 10. It's like if you are nine or 10 or a face card, you know that most of the world is lower status than you. So you get to treat them like that. And to get them to try and, you know, play with this. If it's an acting class, then of course I want to spend some time giving them and actually giving them feedback on it. In a normal class, it's really more about how it relates to the subject. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's, 
that's been my big thing. And I finished um, Stories from Silence. Did that go well? Saturday. Mm-hmm. It went well. <clears throat> I'm this, 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 was at, this was the one at the, uh, the piano, piano fight. fight. Yeah. yeah, this was at Piano Fight. Um, the company is uh, Utopia. This mm-hmm. is their first season. Mm-hmm. So this was the second show of their first season. Mm-hmm. They've got um, another original piece lined up for the spring. And then they start a new season, I guess, in the fall. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what they're doing with all that. Um, I had seen the first show, which was uh, Elizabeth Carter was in. It was... Mm-hmm. Um, the seagull, yeah. Chekhov. Yeah. And I was really impressed with the way they dealt with Chekhov. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed with um, the casting. They did some very – it's two ladies, and mm-hmm. they did some wonderful – you know, some wonderful thinking outside the box of mm-hmm. how to make these characters other things. Morgan, have you ever done either Chekhov or Ibsen or any of those um, turn of the century? You know, it's one of those things that I've gotten to study in mm-hmm. college, going to theater school. I can definitely school. see you as Nora. Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be really house. cool. Yeah. I, I would love to play Nora. I saw yeah. a wonderful production of that in London one time. It Ooh. blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of those things that uh, a lot of times on the page, the the women look maybe like they're one way. And when you see a theatrical production of it, kind of to, to your point about right. casting or design choices, a lot of times you get to see the whole complexity and what they're actually playing is the contrast of the role that they were put in at that time mm-hmm. versus their really complicated inner life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the joy of a play that's written to be a play, you mm-hmm. know, really well matched to its medium. Because right. then when you see it, it becomes something totally different. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Have you? No, 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 not yet. I mean, I've I've seen a bunch, mm-hmm. um, but um, and usually there, you know, there have been a lot of bold directors who will. Cast I of color. I got to mm-hmm. do. Um, I think it was Ibsen, mm-hmm. um, uh, Enemy of the People. <clears throat> ah, um, and it was funny because there's an Arthur Miller adaptation, and they sort of married the two, mm-hmm. um, which worked fine. But yeah, I got to be in that, and I was like, "Wow, you're casting a black guy in this! <laughs> Yay!" <laughs> I mean, the closest that I did, uh, Susan Evans had, this was uh, one years of, of uh, sex acts. And I'm looking at the poster right there. Yeah, I mm-hmm. saw that. It's a, and um, we did uh, Playing With Fire, Fire, which is Strindberg. Mm. And uh, I played Newt, who was a guy who was married to a woman, but attracted to a man who happens to be the lover of my wife. <laughs> so it's sort of a triangular yeah, thing. That's well, funny. Very funny and, you know, lots of... Um, Hilarity, but you know, very high cultured, mm-hmm. uh, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. So that that was fun. And as a matter of fact, I believe Michaela. We were talking ah, about Michaela. Yeah. Really, she was my mom in that. Ah, so. That's that's even funnier. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. So piano fight. Uh, piano fight is you know, if you don't know the space, it's this amazing space in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's where the original Joe's used to be. This classic old school yeah. restaurant, one four four Taylor in San Francisco. Yeah, and um, the people who took it over turned a bunch of the back rooms and basement into rehearsal spaces and little performance spaces. Mm-hmm. So in the main room is the bar. There's a kitchen, and they still serve food. There's a little stage. Mostly it um, presents musical acts, but sometimes somebody else mm-hmm. takes it over. And then there's maybe just two performance spaces. Yeah, two black box theaters. Yeah. And I've performed in both of them now. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so um, it's an exciting space. It's wonderful. Um, we're going to meet to actually discuss 
marketing is the thing they want to try and pick my brain about. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm way out of date on that. So you, yeah. is you this the theater company else. or is this piano fight? The theater company, the theater company. Yeah. Uh, because the other show was killing my lobster, which yeah. has been around for a long time. Right. And they were just packing them in. Mm-hmm. We had nights where we packed them in, but we had other nights where there were yeah. more people on stage than in the audience well, or, or it was real close. Yeah. There are a lot of theater companies that are going through that. Where, yeah, you know, marketing is one of those things they can't really figure it's out. It's always on websites for job postings for theater. It's mm. perennially like marketing director, right. always. Well, yeah, and and I would never take the job because you might go, oh, I've got great ideas. I know how to do this. I've got even some skills or experience, some training. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Yeah. And you get into there and they're like, well, we kind of want to do our own thing. Oh. We want to do it like this. And I'm like, yeah, mm. you got to get out of the box. I mean, yeah. But they don't. I mean, even to the point of um, the big houses, I mm-hmm. won't even mention names, but the, even the big houses, mm-hmm. you talk to the people. The reason those jobs are always turning over is because right. people get frustrated. They're talking to people usually who are older than them who don't understand what they understand. You have actually researched the subject. They're just going off of what they remember or what they think. Or mm. we only got a third of the house and we want to have at least two thirds of the house. Well, if you got a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night show, that might be an unrealistic expectation yeah, right. unless you're going to be giving tickets away or doing Match.com or <laughs> something that's going to draw people in. Yeah, some gimmick, yeah. And, and then there's nothing wrong with that. But, yeah, so, yeah, sure. so we're going to talk about that. Um, but I love this, and I guess if mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about doing a show for the 31st, so we may we may end the year. And if we're going to do an end of the year, oh thing, uh, yeah, uh, yay, um, uh, New Year's Eve, yeah, sure, why not? I'm I'm getting. I mean, that. it would have to be during the day because I definitely I have a five o'clock modeling job. Is that right? On the thirty so first, yeah. On the thirty first. <laughs> now this is a working actor, Norman G. He find he you know he gets these jobs. Well, this year, so I was going to say as a year in review kind of thing. This yeah. year, I've just been working like crazy and it's great to go into a situation and as a producer and a director Mm -hmm. and a teacher Mm -hmm. to walk into it and be able to assess the room quickly and to assess what the resources are and to figure out this is going to happen or should happen Mm -hmm. that isn't happening right now and this is not possible just make the adjustment but I don't have to talk to anybody about it or do anything about it. I'm an actor. Yeah. I just have to get on stage and do my yeah. lines. And I that, love it. You know, that's one of the things that we haven't talked about. Like, we are actors, but acting can – I mean, there's so many diverse things you can do. You don't necessarily have to be on stage. You can be in front of a camera. You can be modeling. Mm-hmm. You can do – I mean, there have been times where I've acted for a mock trial because right. there are um, – uh, folks who are in law school right. who need individuals to play witnesses and defendants and all that sort of stuff. Right. I, I bet mean, there are a lot of done any, professional have you done people. Acting, which is not on stage, Morgan? Um, you know, I'm, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I do know I, I work administratively at Bats Improv. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. They are in theater sports. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, yes. You're an improviser. Yes. I, well, I've just started to become one, and it's oh. delightful. Uh, it's a, so much fun, and I think... You know. I'm, a, I'm a Bats alum. Oh, and you a bunch are? Of the people who are up in the organization and I submitted will a piece know me. Long time ago, like in 2003, it was a, uh, um, it was a. Th- they had this thing where they take the first five pages oh. of your script 
and then they'll just improvise the rest of it. Right. And they did one for mine. That's a long time ago. That's My crazy. Goodness. Wow. Small world. Yeah. Well, um, to, to the point about, you know, any acting that's not specifically what we traditionally think of, yeah. a lot of times on the office side of things, I will get requests from other companies that are looking for our students to be a part of something or right. a part of a, an administrative job because they want them to be able to improvise. Mm-hmm. Everybody's just realizing what a great skill that is on stage or off. So right. we get a lot of strange requests like that that, to me, are so around another corner, but mm-hmm. it makes sense to them of like, well, they can improvise so they can do this job. Right. Even uh, the late Joe Weatherby, uh, who passed away, Mm. he worked for, I think, Kaiser, where he would have actors pretend to be patients Mm. for medical students. I know. I, I, through Playground, there's Mm -hmm. a woman who does that, and um, they've talked to me a couple of times about signing up, and I'm like, yeah. I tried to sign up once, and... They were so sticky about well, a couple of things. One, I was trying to keep my schedule available to sure. certain in a certain way, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Well, you've got to make this commitment." And I'm like, mm, "I don't know about that commitment. I don't know." And I forget there was something else where I was like, "Can I, you know, can you give me some time?" It was like, I don't know. I don't think it was a headshot or resume, but it was something where it was just a thing where I thought there's. Many people will let you come back or send them something, and they were like, well, no, no, if you don't have that right now, don't worry about it. And, mm-hmm. and never got a call. And I was like, okay. That's strange. Yeah. You must not need me. I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of folks have to understand, if an actor makes a commitment, another job can come in that can pays more, and that can knock your commitment completely out. Oh, yeah. Some folks understand it. Some folks don't. Right. So. I was just talking to an actor about that who was like <clears throat> potentially going to have a callback for an industrial commercial or could take pretty much like six weeks of paid coaching work mm-hmm. as an improviser. And right. it's, it's like, you know, you can't leave yourself available for a second opportunity at maybe having a part in right. something for a two-day sh- versus well, all of Some people work. do, but mm-hmm. then those people who would hire you for that other job, you kind of bump down on the list. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, you can shut some doors. But, you know, I think that those who hire actors have to understand a working actor – it's all about the money, especially, you know, if you have to make make the rent and all of that sort of stuff and you have a great opportunity. I mean, let's say you get a phone call. Let's say Morgan, one person's like, hey, you know, our little theater company here once, you know, has a ro- great role for you. You may say yes. And then someone from Hollywood calls or someone from Broadway is like, listen, we got your resume and we've got a ticket for you right now. That other company has to understand. You know, what's interesting is I my director when I was in a production right before Civil War Christmas mm-hmm. um, with Marin Shakespeare Company. Oh, what to- you do? Uh, Love's Labor's Loss. Mm. I was just, I was Catherine. I was one of the mm-hmm. princesses, ladies in sure. waiting. And um, our director told this really beautiful story about how he had a friend when he was from London and um, a friend who was older than him, who was more of a mentor, was offered this incredible mm. directing position at the West End, you know, star-studded cast, one of those huge catapult things. And the director turned it down, mm. and m- our director for our production asked him why, and he said, well, there's there's a woman who lives right down my street who's dying of cancer, and mm. I give her a massage twice a week, mm. and if I took this job, I wouldn't be able to do that. Wow. And it's one of those moments where it's like there's, there's always, to me, a sort of yes and about those jobs. Sure. But mm-hmm. in times, I agree with you, and you know it might make a shift, and you do want to take that job, and in other times – Maybe that small role at that small theater company is exactly the right thing for you creatively or is the mm-hmm. kind of people that you want to be around. Mm-hmm. And it ultimately is, is more rewarding and 
You don't know. It sort of seems yeah. to be case by case for each, me. Right. Each person has to make that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, the other possibility for the 31st is Michael Moran, who is oh, runs oh, the um, sure. Ubuntu mm-hmm. Theater. And we just talked. And I have – oh, that is big news, I guess. I am now officially a company member of the Ubuntu Theater. Congratulations. Wow. And so we had a talk, and I was like uh, – and thank you all. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yay. Right <laughs> on. But I wanted to meet with him and talk. I saw the offer, and I responded, wow, this sounds great, and mm-hmm. I would love to. Let's talk. And so he finally made time, and we sat down, and we talked. And I said, okay, number one on the list, I have to bring it up. You are guaranteeing every company member a role in the season. And I'm like, um, that sounds great. Lots of people have done that. It doesn't always work well. In fact, more often than not, it does not work well. And I said, and here's one of the number one reasons why. I'm a union actor. More remunerative employment. It's in the contract. If I am offered a job that pays more than your job, or that I can even argue is more high profile, like you're going to pay me what they're paying me here, but you're going to put me on Broadway. Mm. Yeah. Then right. uh, I I gotta go with that. Right. And sorry, you might get forty eight <clears throat> hours notice. But he understands that, right? He does. He's he's incredible. He's really wonderful. What he had to do was write up a this is what you're agreeing to that made people understand we need this much of a commitment. Mm-hmm. And if you want to wiggle around some things, that's fine. But for every wiggle that means less responsibility on your part, mm-hmm. if you're really a responsible company member, you've got to wiggle up on some other area mm. to to compensate. Right. And, yeah, once we had the conversation, I was fine. But this is something that happens a lot with union actors, and not just union actors. Um, the most famous case that I know of is the play's Marisol, which is a Jose Rivera play, and it's a beautiful play, um, was offered to George C. Wolfe. He had agreed to do it. And then deals had been made, and Angels in America was coming to Broadway. Hmm. And he went, that show is going somewhere, and he jumped ship on the other production Mm -hmm. and took Mm -hmm. over and and directed Angels in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that took him to the public. (coughs) Right. Right. So, and the thing is, I love Marisol. If I had to pick between the two plays, I would pick Marisol any day. The other play I find to be too big, too bombastic. And and just massive. It's even if you do it well, you have to do it in a massive way. Yeah. It's a huge story. You know what's interesting is Town Hall Theater, where we're doing a Civil War Christmas. Yeah. did they did, did that play, and it's a very tiny stage. Yeah. I wonder what that was. As a matter of fact, Lamont Rigel, I think, was in that cast. Mm. You know Lamont, right? Mm-mm. He um, well, if you remember, I did the uh, the stage reading of the very first stage reading of um, Foreman in Paris. He was yes. James James Baldwin. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But he's been around a, a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he, of course, he's one of those actors. When the minute he made it, he's now you know he's he's doing other things. Yeah. I think he's in Chicago or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Angels in American Town Hall Theater. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, I'm not saying it's not possible. It's mm-hmm. just. The when you take a big show and you yeah. want to put it in a small space, if you are a thoughtful yeah. director well, with a thoughtful production yeah. team, it can be gorgeous. Yeah. But Marisol, minus all that, is gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. Marisol, I saw it at the Magic when it first toured. You know, when it first came to the West Coast, and they did it. Actually, it wasn't. It was the other uh, 
The magic is in like building C or it building is. D. I think maybe D. D, yeah. Uh, building B also has a theater. Yeah, actually, it has a theater where Bats is. Oh, that's is. right. That's Bats. Mm-hmm. Bats took over that theater. Yeah, yeah. Once upon a time, it was called Life on the Water. This Before, is at Fort Mason. Yeah, at Fort yeah. Mason. Before it was Life on the Water, it was just sort of a rental, and somebody brought this show in, Marisol. And I saw it. Oh, my gosh. So it was a blank, black box of a stage with a ladder at the back, and when the lights come up, somebody is finishing writing, scrawling graffiti in chalk on the back wall. Mm. Later on, somebody who you didn't really notice comes climbing down the ladder <laughs> with wings. Mm-hmm. So, like Angels in America, it has these sort of apocalyptic, it's an apop- post-apocalyptic, no, actually it's an apocalyptic story. Mm-hmm. It's bad stuff is happening and what do you do about it? Yeah. And, uh, and it's gorgeous. They're both gorgeous plays. I don't mean, to, but I just say in terms of the commitment. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's equally valid not to go <clears throat> artistically, what is this going to do for me, but personally. Mm, yeah. I made a commitment. You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to my grandma's 90th birthday. Oh, hell yes, I'm going to that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be there that right, day. Right, And if we can work around that, that's great. And yeah. that was um, with the Piano Fight show, I already had a two-day modeling gig. Mm-hmm. And one day was no problem, Tuesday and Thursday. Mm-hmm. But the other day, I was finishing at 6.20. The show starts at 7.30 in San Francisco, and I was out on the other side of the tunnel. And I'm like, oh, all it takes is one accident, and I'm screwed. Well, I check on ways, and my little GPS tells me, yeah, you're going to get there. In fact, I gave like 15-minute window. Mm-hmm. And it said, yeah, you'll get there, or you'll get there like, you know, four minutes later, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's fine. I'll park. I'll, I'll run in. Just as I approach the bridge, accident. Mm. I don't even know this is an accident. I just know we're bumper to bumper, and mm. they're not saying anything about it on the traffic report. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, fire truck goes by me. Oh, no. Second fire truck goes by mm. me. Cops come rolling up. And mm. I was like, oh, so I'm texting, sorry. Uh, and I still managed to get there for curtain. Oh, so you made it. I barely made it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I always find that to be one of those weird things, too, where you're like, somebody is having a much worse time right now, and I still have to be worried about this, Mm -hmm. which is just that weird human kind of... Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. Yeah. Well, it was two motorcycles. Wow. You know, cars and two motorcycles. So at least one car hit another car, because I saw the front car with its back bumper just crunched. But I heard finally on the traffic report, two motorcycles down. And you know what was causing the bottleneck? And they took up three lanes. Mm-hmm. That was not causing the bottleneck. People looking. Everybody had to slow down so they could get a peek. Yeah. I actually scooted around somebody when I finally got to that place where you bottlenecked yeah. around. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the problem. You were all slowing down to look at that. Come on, folks. Because I yeah. got on the other side of it and I was doing 80 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Maybe this the is cops the were looking way. at the accident too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. Oh, boy. They had to be. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's just wild. Yeah. And again, to you know, I'm I got married almost two years ago now, mm-hmm. and um, and I had to decide how does my career work. Well, fortunately, my wife yeah. is an artist as well, and you have to make these choices about what you do and what you don't do. And so, one of her, she's a musician. She has kids performing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. She's been agonizing about this for months. And trying to find the right material and trying to get the kids up to speed and, you know, trying to do what she can to deal with, you know, what she's got. 
They do their little concert tomorrow. The faculty does a little holiday dinner mm -hmm. before. I've been once. Before we got married, mm -hmm. I went once. So I'm like, oh, am I going? She's like, well, I don't know. Well, the concert's not going to be that good. I'm like, I don't care if the concert's that good. I'm your husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw how all those other little ladies were like, about me being there. Mm -hmm. I'm like, shoot, don't you want a little of that energy? <laughs> I will eat some spaghetti, have a little bit of cake, and be happy <laughs> while you get to have that. Because those things are just as important as being on stage yeah. and having yeah. a fabulous show. Mm -hmm. That's true. And what did she say? She, and she, she was cool with it? She, I'm, I keep telling her how much I have to interpret the yeah. nonverbal communication oh, that I get. Yeah. So, no, I'm not going. Okay. Well, you're only in year two. I think you'll you'll get used to. It. <laughs> I mean, not that I'm a veteran of marriage. <laughs> so you guys perform tomorrow? Yes, we do. I could go tomorrow. There you go. Yeah. And I've got comps for you. There you go. See, See? if you listen to the podcast, you can sometimes get comps. <laughs> yeah, but the hey, limited. I mean, uh, yeah. So so any case, yep. So any case, let's get into current events. Alabama, Black Power. Woo! Jones, Doug Jones. Well, and black power in the South, like they haven't seen it since the end of the Civil War. That's right. Ooh. I was going to ask you this question. It was a question that just popped up in my mind. If Unless you've been on planet, you're, you're and definitely, and <laughs> feel free to jump in at any time. Absolutely. Well, we were talking about this, but yeah, um, we were. yeah, Doug Jones, the Democrat, you know, first Democrat U.S. Sen U.S. Senator for Alabama in almost and, 25 years. Yes. Yeah. Maybe even longer than 25 years um, over you know, Roy Moore. But the question is, would it have happened if Hillary had been president? I mean, this is a backlash. Wow. But that's a question that I have. That's a great question. What do you think? I don't think Roy Moore would have had a chance. If he, Hillary, he would have never ran. He wouldn't have been able to. Right. Oh, that's an interesting, yeah. Because they would have been more that's concerned about getting somebody yeah. into, in the same way that they were concerned. Yeah. About getting somebody in to support their agenda. Yeah. They would have been concerned about somebody who was electable yeah. under a Clinton regime yeah. that could still yeah. put forward now, their agenda. Now, of course, agenda. this is a chain reaction because Trump became president. He appoints Jeff Sessions, who vacates his U.S. Senate seat. And I love that. And then... Um, How well did Jeff Sessions sleep last night? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure he's like, hey, it's it's not my fault. You know, it's not like I... Whatever. Well, that's what he says about everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 I don't recall. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just, it grates me that he, he is the... I'm glad that he they didn't kick him out so that he can get his Senate seat back. Right. Because he would have... He, you know, because... They were thinking was, about it. Yes. Let, me, let, let Trump fire him. Then he could run instead of right of uh, Roy Moore, and then you'd have a more competent, and then he'd just get his Senate seat back. But right. it works out for for us or whatever. But I just wonder if Doug Jones is this is really just a backlash against Trump? If the anti-Trump is motivating the Democrat Party mm -hmm. in a way that Hillary Clinton as president would not? Well, Hillary wouldn't do that. I'd agree with that. But no, yeah. I think it's more a backlash to that fourteen-year-old. <laughs> All you have to do is say fourteen-year-old. Yeah. Oh, who he was messing with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's just really, really disgusting. And I think it made it hard for – because I uh, – KALW does a call-in program, and yeah. I listened to it today. And they had experts on to talk about what happened, mm -hmm. including at least one person from Alabama. Yeah. They only took calls from Alabama, which was great. 
cool. And hearing those people talk. Mm-hmm. They, very few people said it explicitly, but it was really clear that, and I think social media plays a role in this, mm-hmm. we were just pumping that narrative. It's like, oh my God, are you really going to vote for this guy? Right, right. Because honestly, his politics are way worse with the fact that he might have tried yeah. to touch a 14-year-old once upon a time yeah. above her panties. Yeah. And you know, that's horrifying and horrible. Not as horrifying and horrible as the stuff that he says. Not as horrifying and horrible as the stuff that got him kicked out of his job twice. Exactly. As an ADA, an assistant district attorney, I mean, that just blows my mind that an ADA would do that. I know it's in the 80s and it's in the Deep South or whatever, but... I mean, we have ADAs who won't even jaywalk because they're worried that the citizen will see them as like, ugh, I saw that whatever. And, you know, you worried about, we're worried about parking in the wrong place. You mean you, you don't cruise the homecoming dances <laughs> around here? Dang. And, yeah, exactly. And even right to these 14-year-olds whose mothers and fathers are like, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. That's uh, crazy. Well, I hope that Roy Moore's story is not over yet. Because I hope that they will follow through. Now, I know it's all past any kind of statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. But I still hope. I would love interviews with all the people who are working at the malls yeah. that knew about this. I want to hear from every one of them. Yeah. You know, so now we're not putting the weight on the women. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to think about this, Morgan. Well, I, I think it's really interesting if you were to ask somebody who's young, maybe in elementary school, what do you think politics is? Mm. Because, you know, in it, it seems that it's about profile pieces and celebrities and um, sexual assault, sadly, yeah. and um, anger and signs <clears throat> and nothing about, um, about policy and discussion exactly. and action. And, you know, and, and for, for me, I, I'm incredibly ignorant about a lot of things going on, and it comes from a place of... Uh, being a very emotional listener, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that is a good thing about mm-hmm. myself. And uh, so when I when I try to take on the news and try to parse out what's actually happening and what this means for policy, what this means for what lives are going to be like afterwards, what's going to get done, yeah. I can't. I don't know how to find it. And then everybody is screaming and yelling, and mm-hmm. then personal stories, and it, you know, it's it's just it's a strange way to try to interpret what's going on in our world right yeah. now. And yeah. you know what what's always gotten me is. I elections become things that happen you know it's almost like an uh you know being a lifelong warriors fan that like a championship ends and you're already like okay on to next season right, like it's, you right. know how are we going to get yeah. that next ring yeah. which you know is great in sports but then in politics somebody gets elected and already you're talking about the counter movement or how right, you know sure. everything is for the next thing right. but it's just weird it, it's it's got this dichotomy in my mind about what's going on mm-hmm. in our news and what's going on Actually, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and a lot of that's fault of the twenty four seven news. Like people have criticized CNN mm. instead of focusing on the real issues, they bring these pundits in, and it becomes, becomes football or it becomes baseball. Like you know, either for us or against us, right. and cheer for us and cheer for them. I mean, right. even we're cheering for Doug Jones and the Democrat Party. Right? Maybe we're you know that's part of the problem or whatever. No, to but be honest, I'm just cheering against Roy Moore. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't care about Doug Jones. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, as far there are serious issues that are going on, especially in Alabama. I mean, I understand the frustration in the Deep South. There's not a lot of industry going on there. There are a lot of poor right. people who are disenfranchised. They're uh, right-to-work states, right. which means right to get paid very little <clears throat> and not follow a bunch of 
laws and rules that were put in place to keep you safe mm -hmm. and sane. Isn't that so interesting, too, about our country being so huge? Reg, we were talking about this a little bit in terms of our diversity, but just, sure. you know, what even the climate is in the San Francisco Bay Area and the kind of companies we have and the mm -hmm. kind of things going on and how different that is from what you're saying about the right-to-work states. Right. You know, maybe it's not in some parts of California, but just how, how incredibly diverse all of those issues are. Well, I would say the new stuff, because tech, let's, let's put it in those mm -hmm. terms, those people work way too much. Mm. And when tech started to rise and you were in position to get shares of your little company that was coming up, mm -hmm. well, then that's worth, you know, killing yourself, almost killing yourself to do everything. Shares aren't on the table now for almost anybody. And that's so even though they're monthly, they're weekly, their paycheck might be fat compared to the janitor working in office buildings downtown. They're also living in a $2,000 a month apartment, you know. You know, it's interesting, too, thinking about what you said about bringing theater into the classrooms. It's mm -hmm. becoming very much the fashion to bring improv into the workplace. It has been for a while. Yeah, yeah, just to help alleviate some of that stress and help people play and think creatively. Now, is it, is it in other words, coworkers are, are improv or are they bringing in yeah. actors? Well, no, they bring, well... What is it role playing? Is it go ahead? Theater sports does things like give them a lesson in some stuff, so they've got at least one person or a few people coming in and doing some demonstration, but then you get them engaged, get them on their feet. Yeah, and a lot of it is, um, it's not improv and what people think of in terms of like, oh, gotta be funny, gotta be quick, gotta make jokes, gotta right. be a character, even at being a character at the beginning stages. Yeah, it's right. more about kind of what we were talking about, about showing up and being helpful, being on your partner's side, right. you mm -hmm. know, a, a willingness to connect and, and deal with what's right in front of you mm -hmm. rather than being in your own head and trying to cover sure. your own Come back. Come up with the next thing. Exactly, right. yeah. Well, yeah, that, that thing, that is a very useful and effective tool. Oh, I mean, absolutely. That, that's, a that's why it's thing. working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The guy that helped me become a teaching artist does, hasn't done theater, I'm fairly certain, hasn't done theater in decades now. Um and he had been in Cal Shakes. He's fantastic. He's amazing. But he started figuring out that you could get that corporate money. So, oh, yeah. And it was funny because sometimes he would say, I'm not going to be here because I'm flying across country for a gig. Yeah. And it might be a three-day thing. You fly in. You do a couple of days with them. So you fly in. You sleep. You do a couple of days with them. You get a day off. And then you fly back. And you get paid more money than you would get paid on most shows in the Bay Area. Wow. You know, it really, I think it really does change people's lives, which is the interesting thing. It's that weird. Yeah. If people allow it to. And, you know, sure. it, when you and I were talking about how yeah. there are some folks who are not interested in learning. They're not interested in growing. Mm -hmm. They're not but interested in. But that's where in, improv yeah. gets under people's skins. Mm -hmm. Improv, you ask somebody to do a simple thing like just say yes and. And you put them in a situation where somebody says, well, do you want to sit on this couch covered in porcupines? And you say, yes, and as soon as I finish my drink, well, that's good because by then the porcupines will be in heat and their spikes will be way high. <laughs> yes, and I love that. And these people who have no comfort Mm -hmm. around these things realize number one nothing is on the line you're just talking to somebody it mm -hmm. means nothing but you also realize 
I'm being resistant to stuff. Why am I, why am I being resistant? That's the interesting thing, too, about people starting to do improv is a lot of times crazy stuff like that comes up rather than just simple story or simple narrative because right. they've for so long been like, no, I can't. No, you don't. Right. I don't think people realize how often they say no in physical terms, in, you know, to, to anything, to simple, simple things. So when people are released for the first time, it is often about, like, porcupines no, on the couch. And more than ever, it's about our, it's a part of our vocabulary now. So mm-hmm. you're engaged in a heated conversation with somebody and you say, <clears throat> no, yeah, I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. No, but. Right. Blah, blah, blah. You block first. <laughs> yep. It's just, it's become more a part of our culture than ever now. Have you done any improv, Reg? Well, it's, it's a long time ago. I mean, I have to go back all the way back to NYU. As a matter of fact, there's a wonderful mm. company, Living Stage, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is in Washington, D.C., uh, and they worked on that. And, and actually, I was a kid, you know, when we did that, and that was a wonderful thing. I would love to do more improv, and I think improv, especially in the workplace, really, really helps. It helps to get into another person. Like, tell that executive, hey, you are the woman. You are the secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sit on the boss's lap or, you know, or, or whatever, and – see and see how he acts so it's really you know getting getting a person into another person's shoes to help right. them understand oh so you're saying it for like role playing with what's going on right now in the well right exactly now i mean as far as improv like with me i i've done it in school but i haven't really done improv i think um there's one company isis arts initiative the, the late mike ward Mm. And uh, mm, that's right. Yeah, they um, we did some improv stuff, and Sean Landry, who's a comedian, sh- uh, we did like sort of um, improv slash comedy skit thing. To be honest, I was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm much more of a serious actor. It's funny how you were learning. Yeah, it's funny how comedy is hard. Improv does not have to be comedy. Right, yeah, don't get me on my bad soapbox <laughs> here because yeah, I will. Please get yeah. on that soapbox. Go, go for it. Well, I mean. And it's nature. It's it's just about being human and being connected. And a lot of times right. that's not funny or fun. And right. you know, if you are committed to embodying a character mm-hmm. in a in a situation, and you're connecting with someone on stage, and you're committed to yes, ending the story, mm-hmm. maybe if it goes to a place that is a little sad, improv can move people too. Bats does. does long form. That's just family drama, and sometimes it's hilarious, yeah. and sometimes right. people are crying, and right. it's all improv. You know, it's gotten this bad rap of being like a comedy. Well, yeah, improv has mm-hmm. theater sports. I, I am an alumni of mm. theater sports. I'm alumni of Bay Area theater yeah. sports, and some of the things that I teach are things that I learned through that process. So if somebody said, you know, what's something that you do every now and then in the middle of the night? Get up and make a warm glass of milk. Okay, we're going to show you. Get up and make a warm glass of milk. Yeah. And that scene could be either incredibly poignant or that scene could just be ridiculously over-the-top weird. Mm -hmm. And the person who throws out that suggestion, you want to applaud them because everybody else is sitting there going, oh, what would Jim Carrey do? What can I come up with that would be like right. incredible? Because you're thinking about the audience and what the reaction is going to be instead of just being in the scene. And you know what's ironic is that people people think hard like that, like they're trying to come they up do. with something original. Yeah. But what's interesting is that what we find, what each of us finds to be the most obvious, boring thing is the is most the interesting thing is we could say. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it reveals... It reveals how that's 
oftentimes the most unique thing you right. could have chosen. That's how theater sports yep. is such a successful school. Mm. Just teaching that lesson, you've got to hammer that in. And a few people get it. It might take them a couple of times. Mm. But you always got that one who just keeps going for the interesting <laughs> thing. The doorknob's on fire. And we appreciate that person because okay. you can you can see mm-hmm. you can see what happens when you're when you're trying for that instead of just being right. present, yeah. being grounded. You know. Yeah, you don't have to force the dramatic. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. the most simplest things can be dramatic if you just allow it to be. Yeah. So yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying. Well, there is a distinction between comedy, improv yeah. comedy, and just straight improv. Yeah. And and I I have done um, improv, but like I said, it's back in high school, mm-hmm. but. Would love to. It sounds like theater sports is a fantastic. Oh, theater community. sports is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's called Bay Area Theater Sports. Bay Area theater sports. Sports. The reason I d- distinguish that is there is like another international thing of like, theater sports. Oh, I didn't know that. There's okay. like another whole. Um, Keith Johnstone is a practitioner, and he created this thing specifically called theater sports book, mm-hmm. to yeah. engage people because he was like, well, people get involved in sporting events, kind of like we were talking about earlier. Why right. don't they get behind theater in such a competitive, fun way? So mm-hmm. that's like short form theater games. Yeah, mm-hmm. There's also long form improv yeah. and. Yeah. That, so yeah. Now, theater sports used to sponsor, mm-hmm. among other things, a football game during all the bowl season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They would sponsor a football game. It was hilarious because <laughs> they would do it yeah. on a football field, and every whack job, you know, mm-hmm. who had some shtick that they could bring in, yeah. was a part of it, and that was great. But it was also the commentators and that sort of stuff, which is where theater sports excels Mm -hmm. in just doing the mundane. The thing that you think is just obvious and expected, and it just just goes. Awesome. Awesome. No, it's it's, – one of the things – one of the first lessons I remember is saying, so, you know, for that person who's being resistant and saying, I don't – I can't – I can't do this. Mm -hmm. When you wake up in the morning, do you have a script? Of course not. Yeah. But you get up, and if I stopped you before you got up and said, what are you going to do in the next 10 minutes? You could give me a list of things that you're going to do. And if I said the next 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. if I said the whole day, you could actually script out your day Mm -hmm. and be fairly accurate as to like 80% of what's going to happen. Yeah. And what theater sports has learned is if we just frame it within that 80%, that 20%, those little unexpected moments that are honest and sincere and just come up, Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody says doorknob on fire and somebody deals with that honestly, either you just kick the door down and we move on and we don't worry about it, or you sit there and go, oh, shit, the doorknob's on fire. How the hell do I deal with this? The audience goes with you. The most funny show situation that I ever saw in theater sports I can't even remember what the scenario was or anything but um, oh gosh what's his name um, he's Rebecca's Paul Paul Killam yeah oh, so you're talking about bats bats okay he became an elephant because he's just so tall he's big he's big 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 man and he became an elephant well what do you do as an elephant he put his arm up above his head mm-hmm. against his face mm-hmm. And he trumpeted like an elephant would. The audience went nuts. <laughs> and it was just a moment in a story that somebody it was probably like the um, tourist, you know, photo thing. Oh, like a snapshot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a moment in a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but that moment was just so incredible. And what's great in, and I say theater sports just because I'd learned it as part of international theater sports. 
but I learned it from bats. Mm-hmm. Bats, I have seen way too many. In fact, I tried to bring into the classroom, um, I forget what they call it now, Spoon River. Um, Spoon River Anthology is this gorgeous book that was turned into a theater piece about a graveyard of people speaking. Mm-hmm. And it was almost done as poet. The guy who wrote it, Edgar Lee Masters, um, was a poet. And he created this weird thing where the whole cemetery speaks. Wow. So the 16-year-old boy who broke his neck because he was climbing up to get in the mm. window of some girl's place mm. and he broke his neck and he died? Mm. That's his story. Wow. Later in the show, at some point, some 70-something-year-old spinster tells you her story. And she's not a spinster. She's got kids and grandkids, great-grandkids. Mm-hmm. And when she died, and the thought that has stayed with her her whole life was that boy... That boy I loved. Mm. And my papa heard him climbing up my room. And, you know, there's nothing funny in that at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, and it's, it's an exercise that gets taught in the classes. And once you get it, Mm -hmm. it's just so profound. And until you get it, it's such a waste of time. And unfortunately, I'm not hired to do improv, so I never get the time that I want. You know what's interesting? You were talking about, you know, when someone wakes up in the morning, they don't plan their day out. So, but it's funny how people, I mean, for those who are resistant to improv or spontaneity, people have their roots. And this even ties into, like, politics. Like, why do people vote? I vote Republicans because my daddy voted Republican, my right. granddaddy, and blah, 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 blah. And um, Because the Democrats did blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right, exactly. Two yeah. generations Two genera- ago. Three generations ago. It's like people love their 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 daily routines. Like, and everyone, like, you know, like I have a routine. Like, there are places where I place my keys. If my keys aren't at a particular place, then that'll just totally throw me off. Right. Or, you know, a routine at the office and what have you. So people have their routines. But every now and then you have to break out of your routine, or you should break out of your routine if you want to experience something new yeah. or to understand how someone else lives. If, if you want to grow, if mm-hmm. you want to have a connection with someone else. And improv to me isn't about not having routines. I mean, there are specific things you can do that will be helpful practices with improv. It's more about what you said, the second thing, just the mindset mm-hmm. of having an openness to saying yes or trying something differently. Right. Because we cherish the routines, too, especially when we see them on stage. It's what makes a character a character. Right. You know, that they that they did the elephant that way, that right. they did hang the keys just so, that right. I wouldn't have thought to put on my shoe that way, and they did. Like, we cherish right. that, and that, mm-hmm. that's all useful. It's the most obvious thing to each of us, right? right. But, but it's the willingness to to share that or to right. try try it on a different way. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Before we jump into our origin story, um, any thoughts on the passing of Ed Lee? <gasps> so, go ahead if you got one. Well, I, I'm just I'm I'm interested to see um, what comes next. Mm-hmm. I, I'm interested to see. You know, in in some of the articles I was reading, there was a big point about a third of the population of San Francisco being Asian and now having, you know, a completely different kind of demographic and look and and all of that. And just uh, how important that is. I'm excited to have a mayor, London, who's from San Francisco. and breed. Yeah. Yeah. And and just to see, it sounds like from everything that she she really speaks her mind and she really has direction and focus Mm -hmm. and that some people are very nervous about that. So, uh, but she's also been groomed by Willie Brown. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm excited for her in mm-hmm. the midst of something that is very sad and sudden. 
That's yeah. my only thought on it. That, that's a good way of putting it. So I know London Breed. You do. Um, she ran the African American Art, African and African American Art and Culture Complex, mm. which used to be called the Western Edition. Um, there's a Western I've Edition neighborhood it's house a block away, and this is the Cultural Center because that was part of the deal with redevelopment. Part of the deal was to give these communities something, and they gave them these community centers. Um, and it's so funny when people get pissy about the way these places don't work. Um, they're not understanding history, number one, and they're not understanding that now you're quibbling about the crumbs. It's the same way that in national politics they complain about, like, a food program or something. And it's like, this is this much of the budget. Military is more than 50% of the budget. This is this much of the budget. You could completely take that away, and this is not going to solve our problems. You could split the military by a tenth, and we would still have more than the next seven nations combined. This is just insane. So these are peppered throughout uh, throughout San Francisco, these places. And, in fact, Willie Brown started off as a janitor in one of them, which people don't know. Willie, you know this? No, I, I just have to say that I'm really grateful that I've never had to experience war personally, just as a shout-out to the military because of those comments. That's it. I'm yeah, so sorry. Yeah, Keep no. going. You, what do you mean? <laughs> We've been at war for 14 years. Yes, You're I'm sorry. I've never – I've never. You You've know, never been a combatant. Right, or um, had to live in, in fear of my life because of a war on sure. my soil. Yeah, as well as as most of us. Yeah, I I don't know. I would actually quibble with that just because that has been the politics of the last yeah seventeen years is telling us that we're in danger. Somebody's going to come get us. Oh yeah, the war on terrorism. Yeah, we're currently in the war on terrorism. That's a separate thing. I I grew up right after duck and cover, and I thought that was so ridiculous until we got to the nuclear freeze, and then I went, oh, (laughs) they were worried about it because they saw images of it. They stopped even showing us images of us, but they kept the fear. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Willie Brown has been a mentor to her. Other people have been mentors to her. London Breed came into a community center that was not getting funded enough and was trying to meet its mission to serve the community. Mm-hmm. So it had locked doors. It had a few people that had ins to get in and other people going, wait a minute, how come they get in and you tell me I can't get in? London Breed opened that place up. She supported some – she brought in some tenants, some cultural arts tenants, and she opened that place up and made it available to the community. Mm-hmm. And they fixed it up. It's nice. It's way nicer than Beautiful. it was when I first went there. Um, the the shows and the things that get to come in, the African-American Shakespeare has finally had to move out of there because they can't meet the minimal standard. That is being requested, but that minimal standard didn't even exist before London Breed. Mm-hmm. London Breed did an amazing job with that. If she can do the same job with the city, more power to her. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's weird that the national story is all about the ethnics of this. Mm. Erase Edley's ethnics and look at how he served the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they don't name that tunnel after him... There's about to be a Muni extension up to Chinatown, up to um, not Chinatown, well, Chinatown yeah. and, um, and Geary on the mm-hmm. Geary Corridor. So not Chinatown technically, but up in that direction. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's <clears throat> brilliant. And in the 21st century, long overdue. 
This man put political capital into making this happen. And then there's all the things that are not pretty and that are not newsworthy that he did to try and help things. Um, the guy who he put in charge of a Department of Homelessness, which he started, mm-hmm. said he asked me to come in and help, and I was. And he finally just said, let's make this a department. I don't know if that's the right way to solve homelessness. I know that no politician who's just worried about himself right. makes that choice. Yeah. yeah. So I hope we get to hear more beautiful stories about Ed Lee. Yeah. I remember talking to a coworker uh, yesterday, um, Asian guy, Asian-American guy. And he immediately talked about how so many um, stores and communities, uh, just how business sort of flourished under Ed Lee. And I think about, like, Piano Fight. Mm-hmm. Like, um... Um, when uh, like uh, Yoshi's, well, Yoshi's briefly right. opened up in San Francisco. Right, it's not there anymore. Right, but you saw a little bit of cultural explosion. I mean, under Willie, we saw uh, an explosion, but it was more business related. Right, you know, like you know, money really came in. But he was not. No, the whole Market Street corridor, mm-hmm. which was already in place before he came in, but the the improvement, which specifically said, help the arts. Right. Now, ACT jumped in Mm -hmm. and said, hey, 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 we can bring some money if you give us some money. Right. And so the Strand and that whole complex. Exactly. The Strand came in. Came in during. um, But they are hosting almost everybody they can. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know where the bar is on that, but it seems to me like a lot of people who are doing worthwhile stuff, I don't mean to denigrate anybody, but people who could not have gotten in the door before are getting in the door thanks to that. So that money is helping. Ed Lee was one who very specifically, if he did, wasn't his idea, he green-lighted it and mm-hmm. put some political capital to it. Yeah, and maybe London Breed, who, you know, was the And she definitely major, did. She you know, definitely maybe did. Pr- pushed him to do it. So, th- so that's fantastic. So it looks like things are looking good. I mean, people have talked about, oh, my God, gentrification and these tech companies are just pushing out us, us art, right. artsy folks. But, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a, ray, of, a ray of light. A He's ray of getting hope. beat up for that, too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, where's the money coming from? Well, there's all this money in the South Bay, and they want to be here. Right. Let's help them be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can fine-tune it. Yeah, you can adjust it. But, no, it's um, like London Breed. I'm When I hear Willie Brown, I get scared because that's serious politics. Mm-hmm. On the other hand. Willie Brown had a national presence. You don't get that by just being a clerk. That's right. So she knows how to be more than a clerk. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. And if I you think have a at this point, personality is fine. Now at this cool. point, we need to mm-hmm. take a moment and just honor this man mm-hmm. because he gave his life to it. He dropped it in a grocery store. Yeah. Wow. And it's sad. And 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 then end of the holiday season. I feel bad for the family because mm-hmm. that's it's really tough going through that during the holiday season. But you're absolutely right. He gave his life. Well, and that's that's what I started to say. Yeah. As soon as it happened, because I know her, I immediately jumped on Facebook. And we're not friends because I'm actually kind of picky. We, She knows me. I know her. This woman has let me into her office any number of times. She has opened up the office. I was uh, doing a lot of office work for Afro Solo Performance Festival. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'd get there and Thomas wasn't there. They would let me in, or they would let me come in and work in their office. They were She and one of her people would let me just hang, and they knew who I was, and they mm-hmm. dealt with me all the time. I was, over the years that I was doing that, watching how she was running the space, I'd already been aware that it was way easier to get into than it had ever been, mm-hmm. and that there was way more art, 
really reach out to the community art that was going on, including young people programs, but serious art. Uh, Cultural Odyssey, Redessa Jones, Afro Solo, African American Shakespeare Company. Mm -hmm. I think Robert's uh, Dance Company was there at one point. Um, the art that is coming in is incredible. Uh, who's the uh, African uh, Fila? F-E-L-A? The um, um, musician. Oh, I, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. They hosted these incredible exhibits and and things. Yeah. I can't call it a festival, but day-long. Yeah. They did a musical fail on Fela, right? This, they yeah. were just – and so she was inviting all that in. Yeah. So on the neighborhood level, she knows the kids in the neighborhood. They know her. She's dealing with that. She knew how to deal with the city. When she got on the board of directors, I was like, oh, my gosh. Y'all don't know who y'all got because y'all would never have let her in. She wasn't a politician, but she's an administrator like crazy. And then as board of directors, she clearly figured out how to make things work because the next thing you know, they give her the seat. And in San Francisco, either you're fighting for the seat or nobody wants the seat and they dump it on you. And I think that's what happened to her. But she turned it around and showed them mm -hmm. that this is the way the city can run. I, I, if I were living in San Francisco, I would be so hopeful right now. Yeah. And all I hear from her right now is Edley, 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 which is so appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I feel sorry for her because they're going to have a, a, an election in June. Mm -hmm. Oh, they can vote on it. Thank God she's the head. Yeah. So that can't happen without her mm -hmm. <laughs> help to make it yeah. happen. But they got to vote to keep her in. Mm -hmm. Then in June, they got to vote. The city gets to vote to keep her in. Mm -hmm. Then at the end of Ed Terms Lee, they got to vote again. Yeah. I, like, I, I wish this woman luck. I hope she yeah. picks the path that will keep her sane. Because you know Scott, mm -hmm. what's his name? Oh. Uh, um, you know who I'm talking about. He was already lining up for it, and he wasn't yeah. the only one. But there's a dude named Leno. Um, Mark Leno. Yeah. Mark Leno was lining up for it, too. Yeah. So the, the Democratic machine was already lining up for whose yeah. turn is it and who's it going to be, and suddenly mm -hmm. this black woman jumped to the head of the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so let's see, you know, what – and she has to make a presence because, you know, a lot of – like, you know her, but she hasn't made a presence. Now, like, I don't see her on TV. Right. And, I wouldn't even know what she sounds like, her voice sounds like, or whatever. But you know, let's, she's let's see. she's wonderful. Yeah, let's jump into an origin story, Matt. We have been talking. I mean, it's wonderful when we yeah, talk. Yeah, <laughs> but no, no, no. But we I, haven't heard. Of yeah. So tell us how Morgan Pavey. You mm. know, tell us um, not your life story, but how'd you get the bug? Yeah, how'd you get the theater bug? Oh my gosh. Um, well, when I was really little, I. I was in some sort of like educational programs for theater, mm -hmm. and um, you and you grew up here in I, the Bay Area. I grew up in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. um, and I would always rehearse and have a great time and have so much fun. And then the time would come to perform, and I would be crying in the wings, and I couldn't go on. I was terrified mm -hmm. of making mistakes. <laughs> I was so afraid of what comes next. I mean, really little, like yeah. three, four. Wow. And and I remember at some point in time in elementary school, it becoming a challenge of like taking that next step of, of the sharing and the yeah. getting in front of people and the, now when you were three and four, was this you wanting to do theater or your parents sort of saying, no, it was me. It was just like at, at like little kids camps and stuff, Got it, you okay, know? I um, yeah. but I don't know what happened. There was a breakdown into performance. And then I guess I, I just wanted to prove to myself that I could, 
do it. Mm -hmm. And so actually one of the very first theater programs I remember being in, like an actual after school program, was at Town Hall Mm. in Lafayette. Mm. And I remember Mm -hmm. being in shows there in like first and second grade. Okay. And then it just sort of became like the... it, my companion throughout anything I was doing in school mm-hmm. or with sports or whatever, I was also always doing theater. It's just always a part of my life. Wow. And um, you uh, and you, you studied in college for mm-hmm. theater. Yeah. Where'd you go? I went to USC mm-hmm. in, in L.A. Yeah. Did um, – what sort of um, – because I'm always interested in techniques and, and, like, what you learn. Was there a particular method that you learned mm. at USC? Um. I, not exactly, because I was one of, I was in the BA program, not the Mm -hmm. BFA, and I I wanted to take from as many different teachers as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of my favorite teachers wasn't even teaching an acting class, but he's the one that taught me, his name's Angus Fletcher, and he taught me that questions are more powerful than answers, Mm -hmm. you know, going on stage with a question. I asked him once, how do you even deal with monologues? And, Mm -hmm. you know, he said, having a question, having a curiosity is what makes that important. So it was more Mm -hmm. like ways of thinking about art rather than like specific physical techniques that kind of shaped my time. That's a great one. To approach a monologue as the notion of, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Because you... What really bothers me in general with art is when people don't need an audience, but they're mock sharing. Ah, and I think good way of putting it. when people go into auditions and, and or, or even in the midst of a full-length story, somebody mm. has a lot to say. Mm-hmm. And they do it by rote. Right. Right? And they've got everything planned out. They're not taking into consideration the listener, the internal problem, a question mm-hmm. they may have, why they need to keep speaking, who's in the room. Right. And that's why, I mean... I think no audition should be the same, and even if you're doing the same right. piece, and right. that idea of questions is what helped bring me to that. Mm. That is awesome. Mm. Yeah, the spontaneity of, the, of it all. Yeah, mm. like when I go into auditions, I'm always taking in the person who's looking at me, which sure. is usually the the person who's conducting it, and I get a vibe. You know, sometimes they're bored, or maybe they look right. pissed off, or whatever, and I can absorb that in and enter it into. You know. Well, I have to mention, last time I went to Cal Shakes an audition. Before I started, they said, and so the one thing is, don't use us as the person <laughs> you're talking to. And I was like, okay, I learned that a long time ago, but wow, the fact that you're saying it means that's what you've been seeing, mm. I'm sorry. <laughs> Meaning don't look at them? Is that what they say? Yeah. Well, don't, so don't use you. I'm not going to go, damn, dude, why did you do that to me? I'll just shift my focus a little bit. Damn, dude, oh, why did you do that to me? Yeah. But, you know, that's another thing that's so interesting about, you know, theater school versus experience in, in auditioning is you're taught that there are all these things to do that are going to help you have success because they have to teach you that because they have to have a curriculum and you well, need to have say, a reason to get a grade. You? Right. And, you know, right, and, right. and, you know, a lot of I've taken sort of audition techniques classes in in college that to me are. They should be called, like, my opinions on auditioning. <laughs> right. Because, you know, it's it's different. I You know, some people actually like to see you interact, and so they have a reader. Right. But you yes. don't know that if you've never actually gone out and auditioned, sure. you know? And you don't know that until you walk in the room. I um, Right, yeah. I got cast as uh, Tartuffe once. Mm-hmm. I went out for the generals. Didn't get called back. Uh, they had specific auditions for Tartuffe. I went out. Didn't get called back. They were having trouble casting. A friend of mine got called in and sent aside, so no monologues, none of that. 
Um, and she said, because she knew the company, can I bring in my own reader? And they said, sure. And so she asked me. So I came in. I read with her. We both got called back. That mm. was smart. And then we did that round. And I got called back and she didn't. Mm. And then I got cast as Tartuffe. Wow. Mm. And I was like, I came in to your general audition. <laughs> Apparently I did something wrong. You know, I did an audition recently um, that feels like it didn't even happen. It was one of those uh, kind of one-minute monologues. They had been seeing oh, people all day. Yeah. And it was just sort of like I hardly knew if I was in the room. I didn't know if they were in the room. Yeah. Right. And it, w- it was one of those things where it's like I'm sure they are wonderful creators. And I'm also sure that I was choosing a moment to create in front of them. But I don't know if we, we saw that in each other. <laughs> it was right. just such a weird experience yeah. to be like, well, thank you for you know, something. We, yeah. we definitely talked about this before. I think the way um, auditions are done right now, the model for auditions right now is just ridiculous. I have to say, I've had more success. I mean, I do have monologues, and, you know, we're we're always told, oh, find a new monologue, you know, find something new. And we've talked about age. Right. Like, there's monologues you can do that I could have done when I was just coming out of school that I can't do anymore. Right. And there are monologues that I can do now. Right. But I've had a lot of success in cold reads. Yeah. Because there's, it's spontaneous, mm-hmm. at least it's spontaneous for me. And usually they'll say, okay, I'm going to pair you with Morgan. Now I'm going to pair you with Norman. Right. And all of a sudden you get a different read because they want something spontaneous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want something new. No, I love if somebody yeah. takes that time, yeah. and I've done it when I've, when I've auditioned people, mm-hmm. um, take the time to do that. Wow, Ridge is doing really good. I actually don't need to see anything more from Ridge, but I haven't seen Morgan yet. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give Morgan Ridge, who I know is solid, who I'm feeling really right, comfortable right. about, and see what comes out of this pairing. Mm-hmm. And I've walked out of auditions where I've walked out of auditions where I've been, if not in love, definitely in. Wow, I'm really wanting to get your phone number, and realized later that woman didn't know me or care about me. She was. Trying to make the material come to life, and she did such a good job that here I am afterwards going, oh, wow, she cares about me. She loves me. <laughs> My brother uh, is a filmmaker and a story creator and a writer. Wow. And Older or younger? Older. Okay. And uh, he he has talked to me specifically about um, one of his first films. He actually needed to make two separate casts in his mind mm-hmm. because it was so much about the chemistry, like you were saying about, like, let's see them together, let's see them together, mm-hmm. that if one actor didn't accept the part, the whole thing kind of would have tumbled. Right. So he had to, like, double cast the play with two totally separate groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just wild, wild what goes on on the other side of the table sometimes. Yeah. Do you find that you've learned more as an actor in uh you know, we've talked about what you learn in school mm. and then what you learn in real life. Right. But do you feel that you've learned more in real life or do you still carry what you've learned in school um, on stage? You know what? It's a little bit of both. I would have to say more outside of school, but the reason is pretty specific, which is I was once told when I was in a school environment by a one-on-one coach that drama school in particular seems to deal a lot with what are your problems as an actor right. mm-hmm. rather than what what are you bringing to the table and how do we so pull that so. out of you yeah and so it becomes this environment where you're hyper focused on yourself and on everything you need to do to improve which mm-hmm. automatically shuts you down from being more empathetic open creative and aware mm-hmm. of what's in front of you yeah and when when you get out into 
the world, you naturally have to do things that are besides acting. You end up casting right. something. You end up stage managing something. You end up, you know, administratively right. working. And you see how many other people are welcome at the party right. and involved. Yeah. And then you realize, you know, acting is not just about you. It's exactly. about right. telling a story, and the story is greater than the single actor. Right. And if they would have just told me that when I was a freshman instead of making me so <laughs> concerned about all the things I need to fix, right. maybe I would be a better artist by now. I don't yeah. know. Well, I do find out in school, and I learned this in both high school when I was in high school and in college, there are – you have some folks – who are who are sort of ready? I mean, they're sort of ahead of the curve. Sure, yeah. they know about beats and they know how to handle you know a script or whatever. And so they're little kinks they need to iron out. Mm-hmm. Maybe some techniques that they can learn. And sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll be that'll be presented, and it's like, well, I don't know if that really works for me. And then you mm-hmm. jump into another division or whatever. But then there's some folks who they have their little tricks that they do. And they're so locked in, right. and they have a lot of bad habits or a, a shtick. And we all go through this as kids. Like, well, the crazy thing is a lot of training programs tell you they want to give you this training, this breadth of all that is acting mm-hmm. as we understand it today. And that's a lot. Mm-hmm. There are very few shows that actually require that. So I remember um, – there was a guy who was, I, I would say, the closest I've ever come to meeting Nathan Lane. Hmm. There was a guy in my freshman class at CalArts um, who was just incredible. He's, his timing was great. His musicality was wonderful. His arched eyebrow was so arched <laughs> and so wonderful. Okay. And they beat him up and mm. tried to, They their thing was to say to him that he, basically they were saying to him he wasn't a Shakespearean actor. Mm-hmm. And they kept forcing him into Shakespeare. Yeah. Like, number one, this guy's never going to be Henry V. Nobody's mm-hmm. ever going to cast him as Hamlet or Henry V. They're not. But he'll be the grave digger, and he'll be an incredible right. Yeah. right. He might be uh, Malvolio in yeah. Twelfth Night, and he will be incredible. Yeah. But you are saying, like you said, we're going to focus on the things you can't do. And it makes me think of that Aesop's fable. The school, the animals go to school, and they're all told that they need to learn everything. So the fish is just having a hell of a time trying to figure out how to fly and is hurting himself falling out of the tree like the squirrel does. That's great. But the squirrel is is getting brain damage from throwing himself out of the tree and falling to the ground. And somebody else is drowning because they should – butterflies drowning trying to swim. They're like – you know, at a certain point, and I've never been anywhere. I have not had a theater experience yeah. where somebody said to me, and it's funny because they'll describe a show that way, and yeah. I will out one. Mary Zimmerman, who is from back east and yeah. runs a whole program and brings shows across the country, and they're adaptations of – they're these modern adaptations of the Greeks, of the mm-hmm. classics. She just did the Odyssey at OSF. Yeah. She, she does this stuff, and when you read the actual script, I had to teach one of her scripts, so I read it. And I'm like, you're putting in fart jokes. These are dick jokes and fart jokes. And not that the Greeks didn't do that. They did. Mm -hmm. But you're just throwing them in. And skill level. Mm. I do not need the classical training that I have Mm -hmm. to do your show. So why is it that if my script didn't show that I had this understanding of classical material, you wouldn't even see me. But I'm a fucking Three Stooges nut. And I got that clowning, and that's what your show is full of. Right. And I'm like, okay, so, yeah, it just gets insane. So 
I love it because you always want to ask the question about training, Rich. Yeah. You always want to ask that question about training. And I'm like, there's training and there's what you end up doing, what mm-hmm. you end up getting to do. Mm-hmm. And the best example to me, one of the best examples is Buddy Epson. I grew up with Buddy Epson as Jed Clampett on the Beverly Hillbillies, a very popular mm-hmm. TV show. And he played this, you know, humble bumpkin who was kind of wise, but not, mm-hmm. you know, not in the ways that city folk he took are. for Bud Abbott at one point. I think Abbott and Costello, when uh, one, he dropped, uh, I think it was Luke. Uh, it was Luke. Who's the short one? Um, is it Lou or Bud? I can't, I get hey, I bet it's, it's, um, it's got to be Lou Costello. Lou, yeah, yeah. So I think Buddy Epson took over briefly when Lou Costello quit. Well, but, uh, yeah, but do you know where he was from there? Do you know where his big America hit is? Oh, what's that? A dancer with Shirley Temple. Wow. If you look back at the Shirley Temple films, that's yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And then he was offered the role of the Tin Man, mm-hmm. and he was allergic to the makeup. I heard that story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what does he end up doing? Playing some country bumpkin on a TV show, which at that point for an actor, a legitimate actor, it's not stage and it's not movies, mm-hmm. it's TV. But he does it, and he does it with the same skill and humility that he mm-hmm. had carried through everything he'd done. And that's what he did, and that's what he's known for. Mm-hmm. So we as actors get to make some choices about our career. If you want to pay me, um, what's his name? Fishburn. Yeah. You know where Fishburne's Lawrence big national? Fishburne? Yeah. Yeah. What's Lawrence Fishburne's big national presence? Well, right now it's, uh, it's no, no, no. Initial. Oh, initially. Initially. I first saw him on the Copless Copless Now. Before that, um, actually, maybe not before that. I think that was a big one for him. Yeah. Well, I'll see the Matrix. Start, Go ahead. Before the Matrix. Go ahead. Cowboy. I think he's called Cow, Cowboy Curtis. Uh huh. On the Pee Wee Herman show. I remember that. That's right. And so think about it. You're a serious actor. You're yeah. out there and you've done. You've yeah. worked with Francis Ford Coppola. Hollywood should be opening its doors to you. Yeah. And you hear nothing and nothing and nothing. And some comedian from the comedy store yeah. in L.A. Mm-hmm. is going to do a TV, a kid's Saturday morning program. Yeah. And he wants you to play a black cowboy on mm-hmm. the show. Well, it's the same thing with Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman was Speed Reader yeah. and uh, The Electric Company. Yeah. Of course, Morgan, you wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> but, you know, so, but yeah. as an actor, you should learn what you can learn. You should try mm-hmm. what you're willing to try. Yeah. But you shouldn't get so stuck in the, this is what, I'm a classical actor. I can't possibly do mm-hmm. that. Because you may be missing out on an opportunity that yeah. does something that totally feeds your little classical soul. Yeah. I don't want to misinterpret when I talk about technique. I'm interested in what how, how actors per, uh, address or approach theater and whatever. I mean, obviously, like, I've had, you know, like, uh, in, in there are certain theater schools where it's like, hey, this is the technique, this is the way. Right. And you can only mm-hmm. do it as if it were a cult. Right. It often is, yes. And and that that is the wrong approach. I mean, I'm perfectly fine if someone says, well, this is the technique that I learned, but half the time I don't use it or, you know, I use it when it's appropriate. So whatever. No, your, your question to that area actually does bring that up because people know mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. they learn and they hold on to and what exactly. they learned. And it might have taken them a couple of steps, but now they moved on. Right, right, exactly. So <laughs> back to Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we sort of hijacked that. It's so totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, but but what you're basically saying is you learned a lot from just acting and just being, um, just you know the out, out, outside of school. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and I learned a lot by 
like we were talking about before by by stepping away from theater for a little bit of time because yeah. I oh, I kind of was this um a year and a half after I graduated mm-hmm. I just sort of um I felt like I was just being sort of selfish and right. very focused on you know what's going on in my life and you know how do I make it in one way or another and I just sort of didn't like the direction I was developing as a human mm-hmm. being I didn't feel very generous or um, solid. I didn't feel like I had my own feet on the ground. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm a little bit of a late bloomer in that regard. And so I, I moved to Chicago and I worked in a restaurant to see what it was like to be in a new city and mm-hmm. not and live without art. You know, it was sort of like ah. if if I wasn't taking care of it and treating it well, mm-hmm. um, you know, go do something way different. Sure. And then I was like, well, I I like the communities I'm a part of when I'm creating art. I like um, the projects, and I think that if I come to it with a lightness and a, and a focus on the story rather mm-hmm. than myself, then it does create the kind of life that I do want to be living and going after. So um, I think I, I bring that up because of that question, did you learn it more from like, insider school or out? I think it was a perspective thing on, on why was I creating? Was it just a habit out of what I was doing and because I was kind of on a chokehold of needing to know what came next and that was mm-hmm. all I knew? Or was it because I felt compelled to like be a part of a creative community and tell stories and it took stepping away to kind of readjust that yeah well it's wonderful how life i mean i really couldn't you know when i came out of school sure i wanted to be on stage and i don't know be a superstar or something like that but really i didn't have a lot of life experience so there wasn't right. a lot yeah. that i could bring to right. a role right. Right. and i think that i can bring so much now onto a stage just mm. by living mm-hmm. and i'm sure you understand that too Norman. i yeah. do but i do but i also hear what you're saying i i moved to san francisco with that i'm i'm done with school i had only gotten my associate's degree and all i did was <clears throat> i went to finish up i've been in the military so i'd taken a mm-hmm. bunch of um courses and extension schools while i was in and then i took those credits and i went to a community college and i was like let me just finish this up. You know, I got to take a few classes and I can get my associate's degree. So I did that. I moved up here and I was like, I'm done with school for now. And I'm done with theater for now. Because <laughs> I need to figure out what else is going on. And nobody is knocking on my door with that incredible contract to catapult me into stardom. So let me let that go. For me, it only lasted eight months. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a similar amount of time for me. But I think the thing is... I came to from a world that was so linear, you know, when I was in third or fourth grade, the teachers were preparing us for fourth or fifth grade. And, you know, when it was in middle school, you're prepared for high school. High school was to college. Mm -hmm. I definitely grew up in a town where that was what comes next. And then after that, you get your jobs and you're paying for yourself. And Mm -hmm. it was like, I didn't even know that you could take a gap year or transfer college. I just didn't know that life is not a straight line. And it, I mean, I knew it kind of in theory, but I didn't know it for myself. And, go back to the little girl who was too afraid to go on stage because she didn't want to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like, it turns out that was a life thing, right. not just a theater thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, then, and you end up in Bats. <laughs> yeah, improv will change that cool. real yeah. fast. <laughs> it sounds like you're enjoying Bats. I mean, you're, yeah. you're getting a lot out of it. Well, it's, you know, I would make the joke when I first started working there that I've never worked with people that are such good listeners mm-hmm. because they'll reincorporate yeah. something you're saying five minutes later about yep. the smallest thing. They're like, yes, and that paper that you were holding, it does actually go in that place. Mm-hmm. And and it's just... Oh, I would bet I know at least half the people that you work oh, with. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. I work with Laura Derry. Mm-hmm. She's the uh, best. She, you know, there's just so many, and it's funny because I'm now Facebook friends with a bunch of them, and I'm like, oh, my God, you guys get... Yay! 
because there's so much that you write. Um, Bay Area Theater Sports has grown in a way that has found its own path, and mm-hmm. it's been pretty gorgeous. Awesome. They do Star Trek on a regular basis, is that which right? is crazy. Yeah, I love yeah. to get I love to get some some folks on the A to uh, to talk about. Oh, oh yeah, that'd absolutely. Yeah, that'd be easy. yeah, they're wonderful. Um. I'm going to sing your praises a little bit, Morgan, because, you know, just Yay. acting with you uh, on stage with uh, Civil War Christmas, mm-hmm. wonderful listener. You know, you're very you connect with almost, you know, all of the actors that you, that you work with. And we have a bunch of scenes where, you know, you're with someone like you're with Lindsay mm. as um, <clears throat> when you're uh, Sur- Mary Surratt. Right. You know, that little scene where you're walking and, and all <laughs> this stuff. You have your little scene with um, Alicia when she's Mary Todd Lincoln. Oh, yeah. You know, walking with the enemy, you know, right, Sarat and Lincoln right. hand in hand. Who knows if that's historically correct, but, you well, know, sure. it, it sounds fun. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the scenes that Miss Vogel uh, wrote. And, of course, you know, you have the scene with me, and, but you connect with, really with everyone. You make a, a committed effort to connect. Mm-hmm. And you create, you know, very different characters. Um, so that's a wonderful thing. Um, what... What what's some some of the best roles that you, that you've had, or uh, maybe a role that you've wanted to to do? Wow. Um, well, some of my favorite roles are like the ensemble members, the mm-hmm. chorus members. You know, the yeah. narrator from yeah. Into the Woods, the bit parts. Yeah. Um, which is why this play is so much fun to get to play smaller parts that change characters because uh, there's something about like lending that hand with such intensity and energy and focus that just really lights me up. Like I kind of enjoy being chorus member number two sometimes. It Mm, just, mm -hmm. um, I just, I like feeling like I'm part of the team and like we're co-creating something. Yeah. And there, there's also maybe part of that was, um, as I've gotten back into acting, I have been more excited about the idea of taking on more responsibility for telling a story. So maybe that was also part of my life too, where it was helpful for me to be a little bit more behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, but a, a role that I would love to play is Prince Hal in Henry four part one. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to play Prince Hal someday. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know. You've said Nora. That's a really interesting idea. Oh, Olga in Three Sisters. Oh, there you mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. I love her. <laughs> I think Susan M. is well, the Three Sisters. Oh, yeah. really? Keep an eye on Utopia. I think they're planning on doing it next fall. Really? Okay. Yeah, so definitely audition for Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now, Civil War Christmas is a musical. Do mm. you enjoy singing? Oh, I love singing. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that I am a singer, mm-hmm. but I love doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do you envision, like, is this, your, is this your first musical, or have you done musicals I've before? I've done musicals, you know, in, in high school and stuff, but it's almost like, you know, when you play soccer for fun, and then you meet the kids that play traveling soccer, and you're yeah. like, oh, I was okay, but I'm not that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's sort of how I feel about singing, that I, I tend to get cast in shows where I'm asked to sing a little bit, or there's music involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I love doing that. It's such a gift, because I don't think I'm ever going to get cast as a, as a, a, a lead singer in a musical or anything like that well i mean i mean you can care i mean you have a you know there's some there's some folks who they like to sing but let's say they don't have the ear so they tend to get off and then that you have some folks who are classically trained you know they they are really on the ball and then you have some folks who who i think are generally just they have a beautiful voice they can sing. Let's say they sing in the shower, or they can, they can definitely carry a tune, and yeah. they of course can definitely be cast. But uh, but you love to sing, and I love yeah. I love it, and I, I can stay on tune. You know, I've I've done it for enough of my life that mm-hmm. I I know how to learn music quickly and and do all of that. But the bigger thing is, you know, my parents have this great garage where I can go downstairs because oh, cool. they still live in the East Bay. Yeah. Um, 
and I can just go and sing and make mistakes and make weird noises, and it almost becomes a sort of like little <laughs> therapy for myself. So I do that a lot. So yeah. maybe that's why I get cast in these things because at an audition I'm just having fun and doing that. Well, that's, that's hey, that's all part of it. That's yeah. definitely all part of it. Now your brother is also uh, in the arts and film. Yeah, he so is. It sounds like your family is sort of artistically um, friendly. I mean, we, yeah, we have some absolutely. folks who. They get into theater and their parents are like, oh, for God's sake, you know, what are you doing right. or whatever. But it sounds like your folks were very receptive. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've always been receptive. Um, you know, my mom is – she's been a docent at the Oakland Museum of California for over a decade. She's mm-hmm. no longer docent there, but she's on the women's board, so she's very involved in art. My dad is – you know, he was a mathematical physicist, but he, he grew up in plays and playing guitar and all of mm-hmm. that. And so I think – um, I guess also because my brother was also interested in art, it became a way that we could have a dialogue together. Yeah. And my parents are so cool. They, you know, my dad has read every single play I've been in because mm-hmm. he's wanted to mm. talk to me about it. Wow. So they used what we were doing in art to learn more about filmmaking in my brother's case and to learn more about theater in, yeah. in my case and, you know, talk to us about it. They always showed a huge amount of respect for our choices and they could see that it was passions for us. It wasn't just a sort of passing yeah. fancy. So I've been lucky in that regard. Did your brother also go to USC? No, he went to Chapman. Okay. Mm-hmm, which is in Orange County. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, for filmmaking. And he, is he, is he, um, is he not a successful filmmaker, but I mean, is he, is he working? Is he actively doing the filmmaking? Yeah, he is. And I would say that makes him a huge success. He's, you know, right out of college, he started, you know, shooting his own movie and it just takes an incredible amount of work he's done. He, he writes stories. He's done the directing, he's done the producing, which of course involves all the fundraising and, you know, every time that he should have stopped and found a day job, he somehow managed to find a next gig to keep going. I mean, the, the love that he has put into making that work, mm-hmm. um, he actually does a really cool thing, which is he, he has um, tattoos on his left arm. He's ambidextrous, and he gets a tick mark every mm-hmm. time he makes a film. Hmm. And the reason he does it is he says it's really, really hard when you put one tick mark on your body. You mm-hmm. feel really stupid if that's all you're going to end up with. Yeah. And it was a visual commitment to himself that he was going to keep going with this. Wow. Um, mm. So it's not to showboat or anything like that. It's yeah, for yeah. him to say, this is part of who I Personal am, reminder. and I'm going to continue doing this. Mm, wow. Yeah. So I'm hoping some things break for him he's got a um a kind of distribution deal lined up for one of his films so we're mm-hmm. we're all crossing our fingers that this is the wow. year <laughs> something to yeah that's fantastic uh as far as you know we've we've talked about equity non-equity i mean mm-hmm. do you think about that at all as an actor i do um but for a very specific reason these days um I am EMC, but because I, I got to do stuff with Center Rep when I was really little, and I'd totally forgotten that I had applied for that, mm-hmm. um, I typically feel like I would want to stay non-equity because my life involves so many different things, and I love being able to work with small companies. Mm-hmm. I do have a dream of working for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, and most of their actors are equity, and mm-hmm. whether that is because of the level of professionalism or because of the company or everything about that, it does kind of put it in my in my mind. So mm-hmm. I'm not really sure where, where that will go. I, <coughs> I'm kind of trusting that that will unfold. Yeah. But well, it sounds if, like you're, you if you're mm-hmm. a candidate right now, you've got – there's a deadline coming up. They just offered – because they just offered all the EMCs um, – that's right. You didn't talk about the new rules changes. Yeah, yeah. If because they just raised dues, mm. and there's another dues increase about to hit, they said to all all the EMCs above a certain level, if you qualify, you can join now at the current level, and 
it's funny to see how much people are scrambling around this. Yeah. Ah, so there is an interest in, in becoming equity. I mean, there are folks, you say scramble. That means a lot of folks who are. There's a lot of folks who got this email from equity saying, hey, mm-hmm. here's an opportunity. It's a limited opportunity, but you could join now or you can keep, you know, because I, I think it's 50 weeks. Yeah. But there was some. Um, but they sent it out saying if you are over 25 weeks, you could go ahead and just pay the money and join. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is, I really do think that there are, there's a certain amount of self-assessment involved in like has to be yeah. have i have i built a network yeah um to really uh say that yes i will get cast in equity positions am yeah. i mm-hmm. am i ready to make that right. life choice where that is my primary thing that yeah. i'm doing do i feel confident in that and mm. you know having as i said taken a break and just getting back into the bay area and being lucky to be cast in two shows in a row i'm not i'm not chomping at the bit to make a decision like yeah. that i just want to keep working yeah. You know, as we've been, at, we had we've had a several podcasts where we talked about equity. It reminds me so much. We've had lawyers at our office who leave our office and become private attorneys, mm-hmm. but they won't do it unless they have a clientele, unless right. they yeah. already have the business yep. set, mm-hmm. or at least they have they have a general idea that they're not going to struggle. Right. And I, I I think that's probably the evolution of someone who's going to become an equity actor. You know that you have theater companies that. Are interested in you. You need to know you that you've got at least a handful of companies that have hired you, enjoyed your work, and will consider having you back. Because the guarantee is that eighty percent of the people that you've worked with, when you turn equity, will suddenly go, "Oh, oh, you're equity now." Yeah. Let me see if we have a contract for yeah. you, and your phone does not ring again. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Yeah, so that's something to think about for folks who are thinking equity or or, or knock on equity or so. Mm-hmm. And we have passed. <laughs> oh, we're way past. We're yeah. way past the hour mark. But that's what happens when you have But fun. it's a holiday show, David. <laughs> that's exactly right. So I shouldn't even look. So I have to get back to San Francisco. <laughs> I don't want to know what time it is. So, um, shout outs. Birthdays. Birthdays. And because we're suddenly in the middle of the week, thanks to mm-hmm. yeah, today Civil War is Christmas. Wednesday, the 13th. Um, today actually is Michael Gene Sullivan's birthday. He works for the Mind Troupe. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny. I saw him, heard him on KPFA last week, I think it was, mm-hmm. and you know, discussing his career and everything. He's a writer, performer. He's director. Mm-hmm. Wow. Today is his birthday. Um, to hit the other birthdays that are coming up, uh, and yesterday was. A young man I know who's doing theater in college, Kobe Apple Bernstein. Uh, Sherilyn Lee's birthday was yesterday. Sherilyn, I think I know. Um, she knew. She's, she's been dead for a couple of years now. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Or actually, it might have been last year. I, there was a memorial. I remember that because I couldn't go. Is this the same Sherilyn who was part of the darkroom theater for a long time? Might Don't know. Okay. Any case, yes. Trish Mulholland, who's been a stalwart at the um, Ashby stage at uh, Shotgun, oh, Shotgun, Shotgun Player. right on. Michael Agrelli's birthday tomorrow. Happy Good birthday, Michael. Benton Green, New York actor. Howard Swain, Bay Area actor. Um, Howard and I got to do uh, this weird piece. Uh, we did an excerpt of the novel, Lincoln and the Bardo. Mm-hmm. Uh, City Arts and Lectures, which mm-hmm. I think is on KQED. 
um, does they interview people mm -hmm. when they're on their book tours. They interview other artists, but they definitely catch people passing through on their book tours. And um, George Saunders is the writer. And normally they ask him to read from their work, and he said he didn't want to do it. So word for word did it, and I got invited in. Nice. Howard was there. The two main characters in the – I'm not giving anything away to tell you this. The two main characters in the novel – the novel is based on actual events. Lincoln used to go and pull his son's dead body out of the crypt and cradle it. Hmm. It was reported in the newspapers at the time because uh, it's a little freaky. Sounds like something Mary Todd would do. Sounds like something <laughs> Mary Todd would do. So the book is written from the perspective of two other dead people, mm -hmm. ghosts, who are watching all this. And the writer has found an amazing way to deal with all that. Howard was one of those ghosts. That was amazing. Sylvia Cretton's. Oh, uh, you took mine. Yes. Oh, damn you. What, <laughs> it's what okay. are you going to say? Go for it. La yeah, she was in Lifetimes 3 and a wonderful uh, actress and costume designer. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Ashley, I still have one more. <laughs> uh, wow, Ashley O'Malley. Uh, Ashley, no, Eliza O'Malley mm -hmm. um, is um, is my voice teacher and got me in my first opera last year. Right so. You were in an opera. I got to hear that. Story. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Belinda Taylor. Okay. Um, used to run at one point was the. Um, Editor in chief of the Theater Bay Area, the TV. magazine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then uh, there's Sarah Bettnell, who is an actress back east now. Uh, Armando Edward Dorsey. Have you ever met Armando? No. Armand, not Armando, sorry. Armand. Armando. Armand is, um, I'm trying to move us all the way towards Christmas. So this mm -hmm. is a few days before Christmas. His birthday comes up. Um, he's a black actor. He was in the Bay Area. And now he goes back and forth between here and L.A. Mm -hmm. David Skillman. Okay. If you don't know, who is also another Bay Area actor, wonderful, and works in the DA's office, but apparently someplace else besides where you work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Judith Offer, okay. uh, local playwright, Oakland playwright. Uh, Kimberly Dooley, who is Patrick Dooley's wife, the he is the Shotgun. founder of Shotgun Players. Mm -hmm. Kimberly works with, and I'm not sure if she runs, but she works with the Berkeley Playhouse. Okay. And Stephen Anthony Jones. Okay. Who was um, the artistic, name. he was a um, company member at ACT mm -hmm. and uh, the artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater after the founders passed. Okay. Uh, Ron Mesa is uh, somebody I went to college with. The guy I was actually talking about, the guy who was a musical theater god, mm -hmm. and they tried to push him to do Shakespeare, which he could do, Yeah, but it was a shame. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that takes us up to Christmas. So. And the only other one that I uh, have is uh, wonderful uh, Bay Area actress Cynthia Branch Lagodzinski. La La Look, look. <laughs> mm. get this we struggle with names. We do struggle. Lagodzinski. Lagodzinski's. Yes. And her birthday is December the 20th. I acted with her in Skin of Our Teeth. Mm. And uh, she's done a lot of stuff at um, at the Douglas Morrison Theater. Mm -hmm. A wonderful actress. And you mentioned Michael Greeley and Sybil Crattens. So, yeah. th so those were mine. So happy birthday to you all. Happy um, birthday to please you all. feel free to reach out to us and tell us what you're doing because we love to brag about our theater people. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of shows, um, any shows, any upcoming shows that you're looking Monday, for? Monday, I'm doing Playground. Uh, we're doing Home for the Holidays. It's a series of short pieces um, written by local. 
I think they're all local actors, uh, local actors, local playwrights, um, performed by actors. I'm directing one of the pieces. Um, and the playwright and I are in conversation because there's my piece is about a woman who brings home her black husband to her racist grandma. Ooh. So we're actually discussing about how we can make that work in the way she intends it to work. It's mm-hmm. it's going to be exciting. Last year they did everything based on Nutcracker, and that was a funny-ass evening. So if we're anything close to that, it's going to be worth coming to. That'll be Monday at Berkeley Rep at 8 o'clock. And afterwards we'll go drink at Jupiter. Cool. And I will, of course, uh, push... Um, We've talked about uh, this, uh, The Wide Night. I think this is the last week for oh, that. Oh, yeah. Uh, i got to get there, North too. Piece, uh, that's at Anton's Well. Um, they run until the 17th. Uh, we talked about Monday Night Playground. Um, participants, Theater First participants. Uh, I Yay. think uh, the – who's the person we had? Um, someone someone that mentioned that show. Oh, it was Ka- Kari. Kari Moy mentioned Kari that. Kari Moy. And uh, Elizabeth Carter directed one of the pieces in it. Yes. And, of course, I'm going to push Civil War Christmas. It's our last week. Where is that? <laughs> I've heard of that show. <laughs> that will be at the Town Hall Theater. Uh, we perform tomorrow night, um, Friday, and we have a double-double Saturday at 3 and at 8. I think the 3 p.m. might be sold out, so if you're interested in coming, please get tickets soon. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Come see it. I hope you had a good time, Morgan. I did. Thank you. Yeah, we carried you way, way late. So hopefully, hopefully <laughs> the bar is still running. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think Norman can give you a good bar. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. So uh, that is it. So uh, let me give you my little blurb. And so uh, Norman, when? Uh, let's see. I think we can do this on the air. What's that? When, when's the next time? Are we are we doing one on Friday? Next Friday, or uh, do you have to look at your What's the next the next yay? No, 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 no. What's next Friday? I'm not doing anything. Uh, no, that is the twenty first. No, the twenty second. Oh, you're back. No, no, no. I'm leaving. So I'm leaving on the twenty fourth of, of. Oh, so we get at, to do one before Christmas. Okay, right. let's and do I'm a Christmas back show. On the 30th. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I won't. I won't be here Christmas. I'll, so I'll, no, no, no. Pre-Christmas, yes. we can do a show right before Christmas. Exactly. That's great. exactly right. <laughs> we will talk about Christmas shows. This will and be great. Yes, that is that is exactly right. So for, to make a long story, I'm j- getting on a plane to D.C. on the 24th, and I'm coming back on the 30th. Okay. Well, let's so. see. I'll see if I can get Michael Moran for that because cool. um, as a company member, I got this email asking for my headshot, which I sent in, but... It said uh, there were a bunch of questions. What's your favorite moment with them? Blah, blah, blah. And what would you do for a holiday Hmm. show? And I was like, okay, I'm not giving you publicly what I would do for a holiday show. If you want to talk to me and you got some money, I got some ideas for holiday shows. Mm -hmm. But, um, But what I did send in was, why don't you do just an evening of skits based on your season? So we go back to the Willie Loman house, Death of a Salesman, oh, and we visit them for Christmas. What does that look like in China? Uh, not China, Japan, Rashomon. Mm-hmm. And what about the sweatshop Latinas, immigrants? Um, you know, what what do we do for them? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I, you know, that would actually, and it's funny because I really was quipping just because I know there are plays I want to do. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I thought, wow, yeah, that would be something that would be new every year, and you'd have to kind of put it together. I think it would be fun. Yeah, that would be a very cool one. So I'll ask him, see if we can get him on for the 22nd. 
The 22nd. That's, okay. that's this Friday. Let's do it. Okay. So let me wrap up the show and let me give you my little blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on our iPhones and iPads. And I should add an addendum. Really, any uh, podcast app that you have, anything that you download, you can do a search because we have an RSS feed and you can find the Yay on anything. But if you have an iPhone, you can find us on the uh, the that podcast app. That's a purple app that's probably never used. If, mm-hmm. Since you're already using it, you can tell other friends. Uh, if you're on, um, you can also find us on iTunes. Click on store, use the search engine on the upper left-hand side and search for the Yay. You'll find us for Android users. Download the SoundCloud app. Or you can just go on SoundCloud.com and search for The Yay. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook and we will take it from there. And we, we got to find, find a better, better sign-off. <laughs> <laughs>